Hello, and welcome to the Harrisonburg 360 podcast. I am Arielle Gick. And I'm Kara Myers, and we are your hosts for today's podcast. The Harrisonburg 360 podcast is an attempt to capture and record narratives of immigrants living in the Harrisonburg community. Using past and present voices of Harrisonburg immigrants, students in our JMU English class have collaborated to create a space focused on the importance of listening to each other's voices. Every person deserves a chance to share their story, and we as a class are privileged to share these stories with you in hopes of expanding perceptions of what it means to be an immigrant in Harrisonburg. Each week, Harrisonburg 360 is produced by a different team of students. This week's episode, 10 Million Souls, was produced by Emily Baker, Kara Myers, myself, and Maddie White. There are 44 million immigrants in the United States. In this week's episode, we took the time to follow the lives of two, Nasser Al-Sadun and Ana Arias, and look at the different effects that trauma and violence have on people. These effects come in different forms, whether it is war, violence, or culture shock. What stories hide behind the faces you pass in the streets? When we interviewed Anna, she was a wealth of information and kept us on our toes throughout the entire interview. She told us about living in the Amazon jungle in Brazil and moving to the United States, along with the amazing anecdotes about her father. When we reached the end of the interview, as we were packing up, Anna laughed and told us that she had completely forgotten to tell us about her experiences during the Noriega invasion. We immediately had her sit back down and tell us about it. But when we looked back at the way she talked about the experiences that were most difficult for her, we noticed that even though the Noriega invasion was significantly violent, the culture shock of coming to the United States seemed to be a more harrowing experience for her. But we'll get to her story in a bit. This first story is from the Special Collections at James Madison University. Special Collections is dedicated to preserving the history of the Shenandoah Valley. One medium that they collect is oral histories of immigrants in the community. The interview we will focus on in this segment is between interviewer Daniel Brennan and interviewee Nasser Al-Sadun. Conducted in 2009, Brennan and Al-Sadun discuss his traumatic past in Iraq. To give context, Al-Sadun was in Iraq in 2003 during the start of the Iraq War when the United States first invaded Iraq. Operation Iraqi Freedom was a part of George W. Bush's War on Terror. Saddam faced terror by the Iraqi government because of his knowledge of English and his role as a translator for the British government. As I, I have experience in English, uh, I worked with the British Army as an interpreter. Then I, I, I worked with the United States, with the U.S. Army as an interpreter. And for that reason, the militia kidnapped my father and tried to chase me because anyone there working with the U.S. Army will kill, will be killed by, by the militia. And uh, so after kidnapping my father, they, they killed him. So we couldn't stay there. I took the uh, entire my, fam- my family on, and we moved to Syria, and from Syria to Lebanon. For Nasser, the Iraq war meant losing both his father and his home. After moving to Syria and then Lebanon, he was able to come to the United States, where he could reflect on the events of the war. In this segment, Nasser describes the events surrounding the United States removing troops from Iraq between 2008 and 2011, and the result of Iran beginning to assert its influence over Iraq. At the beginning, actually, uh, uh, it was bad, I mean. 
at the beginning. It was very bad, and uh, they 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 didn't have any strategy for uh, occupying Iraq. They came, they won. Then after that, they didn't they didn't expect that to be happening fast or rapidly. So it was like a mess, a disaster for all of uh, people. All of the U.S. Army, it was a disaster. You see many, many killing soldiers. So both sides, it was like a disaster. Then after that, when Iran came with the militia, uh, now the, the, the need for the U.S., is very high because they are the only per, uh, people that can uh, defeat Iran to occupy Iraq and the militia was very bad they were killing people uh, for nothing so the only way to destroy this militia by the US forces and they did because at the beginning the US were supporting uh, the, uh, the people that support Iran. Yeah, they, that, that's the truth, actually. Uh, then they noticed that those people are not honest. So they, they changed their, their plan. And now they are, they are doing good. But in case of uh, fast with the draw, it will, uh, it will have a bad results. As maybe Iran will, will, came, will come again. This violent trauma that Nassar al Sadan faced was a profound experience that deeply shaped the rest of his life and his outlook on the world, as well as the war that he lived through and his story that he was able to tell. Because when you help a person or anybody, uh, you expect that you will get, uh, he will help you. In advance, uh, in in return, okay, that's something normal. That I help you this time, you will help me next time. So when I came here and see there's no help and nothing, uh, uh, no one will, uh, will ask about you. Well, I said that. Well, I, I lost my father because of my working with the U.S. Army. I didn't care. Because my work was like to help people, to translate, to see people, the needs. And so in return, the U.S. must help us. So imagine that if you have like these situations, how, 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 how is your feeling of the, the influence that you will have from this bad situation? Definitely will be bad, in a bad mood. Maybe you will hate people. Maybe you feel the regret of the days that you spent working with the British or with the US. Still, I have friends, officers, soldiers, surgeons, Americans. Because I, I worked with them and they loved me and we made friendship. But when we came here, those people in the Fiji assaultment were very bad, very, very bad. 
they do not listen. Sometimes they ask us, why do you come here? Our second story of the day comes from an interview between myself and Anna Arias, where we discussed Anna's journey and life in America. Much like Nasser, she lived in countries with turbulent political climates. She came to the United States to get her degree in counseling and is currently an active member of the Harrisonburg community. In 1970, Manuel Noriega was recruited by the United States government to help the U.S. in their fight against the spread of communism in Central America. However, during the initial invasion, the majority of the U.S. presence in Panama was removed and Noriega's forces were working in a guerrilla-style militia. Ana's family was living in Panama at the time of the invasion. He worked for the Pan American Health Organization, which was part you know, the World Health Organization. So we stayed there, and he was actually on a trip when warfare broke out in the street. So um, one day we were at school, and they barricaded the school, and so my mom couldn't get to us. And so we had to go into the gym. And I remember this because I was like in middle older elementary, middle school, and they just had hard-boiled eggs and popcorn to feed us. It was so gross, and it smelled so bad. And I was there with my younger siblings and my older brother, and everybody was super scared because we had to be quiet, and you could hear the gunshots outside. And they had barricaded it, so my mom couldn't reach us. And so a lot of families turned around and went back, and the kids were stuck there overnight. Um, But my mom refused to. Um, and so she sat there and sat there and sat there until a guard let her through, picked us up, and we went home, to which we all hid under the bed because there was warfare out in our street, and we didn't want straight bullets to come in and hit us. So we stayed under the bed, and we listened to the gunshots. Um, they were pulling people over because it was uh, guerrilla warfare, and the militia was in charge. And so they would pull people over and sometimes just assassinate them. And so one of my father's friends was pulled over and assassinated, and he was still trying to get back into Panama. And my mom's like, probably pissed off at him, I would imagine, because she's like, I'm stuck in this country that's in the middle of a civil war, and you're not here. Um, and so we, we were afraid to go anywhere. And there was one time that we were in the car, and I don't remember where we were going or coming from, but we got pulled over by guerrilla warfare. And um, they had big, big guns and they searched our car, but we had our dog with us. And the dog was like barking, 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 like going crazy. And I thought, okay, either this is going to help us or the dog's going to get shot. Um, But the militia guys, I think, were afraid of the dog and let us go. So we were able to go home um, and go through that. And the funny thing is, is I never coded that as traumatic. It was just like something I went through. So later as, as an adult, when I'm going through therapy, um, for different things, I was telling the story of like, oh yeah, I was there during the Noriega invasion. I remember hiding under the bed. I remember my dad's friend got pulled over and like assassinated and shot in the head. And my therapist is like, you said you didn't have a trauma history. I'm like, I don't. (laughs) She's like, you were in a war. And I'm like, oh, huh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I remember, like, people running around with big machine guns, like, constantly being like, oh, we better hide. But I just didn't think that was a big deal. <laughs> so finally my dad came back, packed us all up, and that's when we moved back to Brazil. That's how we ended up back in Brazil.
Anna talks about her time in Panama during the invasion as something that happened to her, but not something that affected her life as drastically as it did for Sedan. For example, I was rear-ended, which was obviously super scary, but that didn't affect my will or my need to drive. During Anna's interview, she focuses more on her time in Santa Barbara, where she experiences trauma. Anna was in Santa Barbara for the first two years of college. For most of her life, she lived in the Brazilian rainforest with her family because her father was an entomologist. The transition from home life in Brazil to college in America was difficult for her because of the culture shock she experienced. I first came to the United States for college. So I first came to the United States when I was 17, and I came to California. Um, And I did two years of undergrad in Santa Barbara at a little school called Westmont College. Literally, like, we didn't know anything about the United States, and so we had... um, my parents got this um, catalog of Christian colleges in the States because they thought that'd be nice and safe. So we looked through and we picked the pretty ones. Like, we just were like, and I was the first to go. Um, so I was like, well, my mom's from California. Maybe I belong there. So I picked, like, the prettiest one in the catalog, ended up in Santa Barbara, which if you know anything about Santa Barbara, it's, like, really, really rich. <laughs> so... Um, and went to school there and was like, oh, wow. And it was awful. Like, culture shock was through the roof because nobody knew where Brazil was. Some, like, I mean, I was really shocked. They were like, you know, it's that, like, in Africa. And I was like, no, it's, no. And so I felt really out of place. And living, um, I lived bilingually to switching to only living in one language was really hard on my system. And so I um, did not, there was not a lot of diversity at Westmont College, <laughs> shockingly. Being a first-generation college student, I can see how college in itself can be a type of culture shock. What were the most shocking or unexpected aspects of college for you? Coming from a very small town in Southwest Virginia, where our graduating class was under 100, I experienced the same kind of culture shock because of the amount of people on campus. I had to fit in within such a large community compared to back home. Also, the bus system on and off campus is super confusing. I still have yet to ride the bus. I feel you. I always get mixed up with the bus routes. I think Anna went through something similar. She describes not being prepared for the experience of an American college. So I went to the counselor at the school and was like, I'm struggling with culture shock. You know, this. my parents did their best to prepare me for the United States, but my mom was a hippie in the 70s, so my cultural references were not up to date. So people were, like, talking about Ben and Jerry. I asked who they were and what dorm they lived in because they were so popular, did not know it was ice cream. So even though I sound and look like I could totally blend, um, I, people were all – I think they thought I was dumb. And then I felt really dumb because I didn't get any of the cultural references, which a lot of it was about like Dukes of Hazard and stuff that, you know, people who are now middle-aged, when they were in college, that's what they talked about. And I just didn't, it's like I was playing a game, but no one explained the rules to me. And I looked like I should know the rules. And so, um, and my cultural cues were all wrong. So in Brazil, when you talk to someone, you you hold on to them. Like, 
and you touch them mm-hmm. and you kiss them when you first meet them. So you meet someone, you kiss them three times and you get really close, like my space bubble was wrong. So very quickly, um, all of the guys on campus thought I was a whore and were asking like really inappropriate things of me. And I was like, what? Like horrified. But because I was giving off the totally wrong clues, um, and so I so I got depressed. And um, after two years, and the counselors, like, couldn't figure it out. They're like, just take some medicine. I'm like, no, no, I'm pretty sure I'm having culture shock. And they're like, no, that's not, that's not it. And I'm like, no, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And I couldn't go home on the breaks because it's too far. So I was kind of stuck. Al Sadat and Ariadne both lived through violent times in their countries. Nassar lost a family member and was forced to flee his home for safety. Anna describes being in a situation where she understood that there was a possibility that she could die. Their experiences differ in the way that they reacted to the trauma that they faced. Arias conveys the violence she faced by the invasion trivial in comparison to her trauma from culture shock. On the other hand, Al-Sadan's life was changed due to the violence that he experienced. Time plays a huge role in the significance of these two people's traumas. Anna was at a young age when she experienced the invasion, and Nasser was an adult when he was forced to flee Iraq. While Nasser's interview in 2009 reflected negative views of his experience coming to the United States, in his recent op-ed in the Daily News Record, Support Office of New Americans, he describes his different experiences differently. He says, quote, After two long years as refugees in Lebanon, we were selected for resettlement to the United States, a miracle that less than 1% of refugees ever receive. I've called Harrisonburg, Virginia home ever since, end quote. Al-Sadan is writing in support of a new office of new Americans that could assist in refugee and immigrant integration. While his outlook is positive, he still explains his difficulty with culture shock. Here's a quote. My wife and I knew going through the citizenship application process would not be easy, but it was something that was important to us. Having some guidance during the process would have been invaluable, and I know that future generations will benefit immensely from it if the ONA is established. For Anna, the alienation she felt coming to America and not knowing the cultural references or the nonverbal cues that Americans use seems to have been more difficult for her than living through the violence of Noriega's invasion. When we first met Anna, we would have no clue that she lived in the Amazon rainforest. And had we just passed her on the street, I don't think we would have guessed that she was an immigrant. When we listened to Nassar's story, we had no idea that he was a professor at James Madison University. After listening to both of these extraordinary stories, we want to leave you with some thoughts to keep in mind. Our title, 10 Million Souls, comes from the poem Refugee Blues by W.H. Auden. As we said earlier, there are 44 million immigrants in the United States. You never know what someone has been through or what they've come from. We hope that after listening, you will be reminded to always be kind to everyone, even faces you don't know that you pass on the streets. We also hope this reminds you to take the time and learn about the stories behind the faces you often see throughout your community, just like we did when we interviewed Anna and listened to Nasser's story from the special collections. Both of these people are highly successful individuals, though when you look at them, you would never guess they had a traumatic past. Thank you for joining us today on Harrisonburg 360. We're grateful to Anna Arias, Nasser Al-Sadan, all the people from JMU Special Collections, especially Kirsten Malloy-Dinia, Kate Morris, Sarah Rothmullet, and Bodine Amiot, and Dr. Fagan for helping us make this episode possible. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Harrisonburg360 and Twitter at 
Harrisonburg, or check out the hashtag Harrisonburg360. Our hosts today were Ariel Gick and myself. Our interview with Anna Arias was conducted by Ariel Gick. Our research and content producers were myself and Maddie White, and our audio producer was Emily Baker. Join us next time for another episode of the Harrisonburg 360 podcast. Harrisonburg 360. Real people. Real stories. One community.